niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas, Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la Yep, doing well. Won't waste too much time with the introductions because uh, we got a jam-packed show, so we probably should get this started as quickly as possible. We do. Next up, we have Christopher Riscardo, who surprisingly enough managed his location for more one pod. So that's um, <laughs> that's, that's gotta be impressive. That's an impressive record there. Two two pods yeah, in a row, yeah. in the same place. Yeah, I'm I'm showing I'm showing off my the latest Peruvian kit, which I was just complaining off camera. Feels like Umbro got the sizes a little too small this year. But anyways. Uh, go ahead to, to the next uh, panelist. All right, uh, we have Michael Williams joining us again, and uh, he's very important in this one because he knows a bit about Scotland because of Derby. I mean, the Scottish players are made for a club like Derby, so I think this is good, I think this is a good time to have him on. Just kidding, just kidding to any Scottish people listening. We respect him completely. Uh, so, but we, we do have the the point is there's a lot of Scottish players in Derby. So, Michael, how are you? I'm 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 well. Happy to be here. Yeah, ready to talk about Peruvian football again. I think we've got a great show ahead, so looking forward to it. And uh, we have a new panelist with us, uh, Diego Montalban, and uh, he's a—I uh, he, believe he works for NBC, according to his Twitter and uh, Telemundo. And uh, he doesn't have his camera. Unfortunately, we had a bit of technical difficulties. That's why we can start uh, on time today. But uh, how are you, Diego? Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about what you do and uh, who you love? We know you love Barcelona. Uh, Tapia is going to be Barcelona next year, so you'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Uh, yes, my name is Diego Montalvan. I'm a producer slash uh, sports reporter for NBC Telemundo. Uh, have previously worked for ESPN Deportes and ESPN FC. And yes, I am a Barcelona fan, and I would love it if Tapia came to Barcelona by all means. Well, he's a player that uh, many Dutch people say that Johan Cruyff would have liked. So if he was still alive, I think it would have been a no-brainer for him to go. So before um, we start this part, I just want to, I completely forgot the locations. I'm in Lima. Christopher is in Utah, I want to say. I want to say he's in Utah. Yes, yes, today I am in Utah. <laughs> uh, Diego's in Massachusetts, I think. And um, and Michael's in, oh no, I almost forgot about Peter. Peter's in Toronto and uh, Michael's in Lima as well. I want to give a shout out to the people in the chat who are listening. Thank you for all for listening. Uh, SoFlow Volleyball Video. Uh, Luis Miguel Rojas and Carlos Narvaez. So it's an exciting part today. And um, yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin. Well, I do, but I mean, like, I don't know how to start this uh, the conversation. I guess we can talk about Scotland first. So we'll give the first 10 minutes to Michael about and Peter, because Peter knows about Scottish football, to discuss the Scotland squad that's been called up for these friendlies. A lot of Scottish league players. It looks like a B team. Michael, why don't you start with the Scottish squad before we move on to Peter to see what he thinks? Look, look I, I think it's an interesting one because I think the first thing you've got to tell you about the Scottish squad is that it's an inexperienced squad they're bringing over. Well, I think they've arrived today, aren't they? So they've, they've arrived today to Peru. So it's an, it's an experienced squad. And the, probably the best two Scottish players at the moment, the, the best, the one in the most high-profile high team is, of course, Robertson at, uh, at Liverpool. And because the Champions League uh, final is coming up on Saturday, he's not come. And also Kearney, uh, Tom Kearney, who's at Fulham. Uh, who's playing really well. He's been he's had a really good few years in Fulham and, and Fulham of course in the championship playoff um on Saturday. So you've got Kenny Fulham and you've also got McGregor the goalkeeper, Douglas, who's been playing at uh Wolves, Richie, 
at Newcastle and Fraser at Bournemouth. So they're the, the kind of the players who are playing at the highest level uh, and they've not come over. So McLeish, who's returned, he was previously the Scottish manager and he's returned um, for his kind of second stint. And he's brought over, okay, there's a few players who have been around the squads before, um, but he's, well, his initial squad, he, he, he called up seven players who, who had never got a cap before. Uh, a few of those have dropped out, um, but there's some names there that are that are interesting. Uh, personally, for me, it's interesting to see the return of Johnny Russell, um, because he, of course, played in my team in um, in Derby in England, and he was a he's, well, he's a very good player in the Championship, and he's gone to play in the United States, um, Kansas City, and he, he, he's by all accounts he's had a great start to his career in the US. Um, also, um, Lewis Morgan, um, Lewis Morgan's been playing at Saint Mirren. Um, and he is a player that they have really, really high hopes for. And he's just been signed well. He was signed a little bit previously, but he's been sent on loan but by Celtic. So from next year, he's going to be playing Celtic, and he was the best player in the in the Scottish Championship. Um, and he's a winger who's, who's who's really quite an interesting player. There were quite a few teams in the Championship who were really interested in him, but Celtic uh, made their move. And, um, and, and yeah, he signed for Celtic, and I think Rodgers has got really high hopes for him. So... They've got a few players there who are who they have high hopes for, but Scotland are really at the beginning of their process where people like Scott Brown, who were their captain, have retired, and, and they're kind of changing their side, and they're trying to blood a few new young players. Um, and McLeish, I think, will use these two friendlies as, as time to get to know a few of the younger players, blood a few of them, see what they can do, um, but just to have a good look at them. So it's a young squad. I think that's the thing we've got to we've got to realize with this Scottish team. So I, I, if it's a young squad, then I would want to say it's compared to us when we played England three years ago. Not sure if you remember that game, Michael. But we actually sent a. It was a game we lost three 0 I believe it was a game where they infamously threw that paper airplane at Hatsi Riojas, and now it's um <laughs> he made himself famous because of that. That's probably what got him to move to Belgrano, to be honest, because I'm I'm not convinced otherwise he would have gotten it. <laughs> and um, I want to compare it to that game with the young squad because, I mean, we lost 3-0 and I thought, you know what, that squad was terrible. But if we look back, I look back at Goal.com and the lineups of the squad, it's almost the same squad we have now. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a young team that was just uh, trying to, they're trying to blood in the new players. And that's what Scotland is doing. Then I, I don't see any way we don't, we don't win this. Uh, I think it's a comfortable win for Peru, personally, 3-4-0, uh, three, three, because they don't have their best players, of course. But... Uh, I do think Scotland will show some of their talent, but I think experience will win in the day. Peter, what do you make of the squad? Uh, what I, I believe, am I correct in saying Kieran Tierney isn't there? He is not. Um, now, the one thing I will say about the very bold prediction that you just made, Brian, 3-4-0, it's worth noting that they have now switched to a 3-4-2-1 type system with kind of two roaming playmakers behind the striker. I think that's going to serve Peru well because we all know how they struggle against these so-called inferior sides, especially sides that like to bunker down and, and absorb the pressure. So I think that's going to serve as a very good test. I think two interesting players to watch, on top of the ones that uh, Michael mentioned, will probably be the likely midfield duo for them in that 3-4-1-2, or 3-4-2-1, excuse me. That is John McGinn and Scott McTominay. First of all, McDominay's the slightly more defensive-minded player. McGinn, who is kind of seen as like the new, more offensive-minded Scott Brown, who plays for Hibernian and has been linked to Celtic, uh, will probably be the more offensive-minded, box-to-box type player. So I think that would be a nice little partnership to see from a Scottish point of view, and one that I think uh, Yoltun and, and Tapia will have to be very wary of. 
McGinn yeah. was, was signed by, uh, well, Nottingham Forest had uh, Mark Warburton, who, of course, was coach at Rangers in Scotland. And um, he brought quite a few players down from Scotland, some of them who have returned, like Cummings, back to Rangers. Um, but McGinn was the one he really wanted. And they said that if Warburton had stayed at Forest, that, that they were they, they had a deal in place for him to come down to play in Nottingham. But they, they really rate McGinn. I, I'll be honest, I've not seen too much of him, but they, they, they really do rate him highly, don't they, in Scotland? I know that. Yeah. 100%. Is this Warburton the same one who managed Brentford? Yeah, he, 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 managed, he managed Brentford. He went up to Scotland. Yeah. Had a tough time in Scotland, really. I mean, he got them out of the the, the, the championship. Um, and then he's, he came down to Nottingham. And in, in, at, not, at Forest, he, he started well, but it kind of slided off. But what he did realise is that in Scotland, there's a lot of good players who you can pick up for quite a good price if you compare it to players in England. And... And he, and he got a few talented players, Mackay, for example, for one who came down from Scotland to go and play for Forest, and a bit like Russell. Russell was a bargain for Derby. We he was playing for Dundee, and and Scotland. The good thing about the 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 current situation in the in this in the, in the SPL is that a lot of their young players do play. Maybe because Rangers have fallen on a kind of bit harder times. They they and Aberdeen have, have had a good team in recent years. I mean. They do, they do come through. I feel their young players do get to play, so there is talent there. I, I think one thing that uh, a, a Scott, a Scott told me that uh, since Strachan left, uh, basically they um they play, they don't play well, but they play prettier football than the rest of the UK, and that's what I've heard. Uh, I mean, Republic of Ireland and Ireland are very limited, and when they open up, they just get better, like the Denmark game, and then there is the uh, there's England who are just. I mean, underwhelming. They're, I'm not saying they're bad, but they're underwhelming. And uh, Wales, I'm not even sure how Wales play these days, to be honest. I, I saw them at the Euros. I don't know how much they've changed. But I think that's one thing we have to watch out for. Now, let's get Christopher and Diego involved in this. What are your predictions for this match? And uh, how how do you think Peru should approach it? Let's go with the new one first. Uh, Diego, what do you think? I think, you know, based on based on what I've also seen uh, uh, of, of Scotland and, and, and the squad that they're bringing and and I think also the, the the amount of training that we've been able to have, I think we will win. And and as Peter said, I think it's also going to be good for us because uh, we have problems with um, with teams that play more in the back, defenders, midfielders, whatnot, um, that stay closed down. So I think I think that'll be good for us to have a challenge in that sense. Um, I still think we'll win. Maybe you know three one. I think that's what I think. And Christopher, uh, we'll move on to you. What do you think of this okay. uh, prediction, sir? So let me let me ask a question to our Scotland experts, actually, because uh, as as you guys were going over the names on the list, and I was looking at the uh, the call-ups uh, sheet, uh, I do notice that most of these players. You said that that Scotland is on a transition period, and and Brian compared this to Peru four years ago against England. But if if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, the the team that we took to England was most of them were. U twenties. I'm twenty twenty one, and now and now I see the Scottish team, and I see that a lot of these guys don't have any caps, and at the same time, most of them seem to be twenty five and up. Or am I am I wrong? And what's why why is that? I I would compare it more to the Peruvian team when before the Copa America when Gareca changed them. I remember going to the friendly in Lima when they played Trinidad and Tobago, and I think it was. Was it was it Benavente played Beto de Silva and they were all they were all relative, you know Trauco hadn't even played that often had he and 
and and they were that 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 before you know they're friendlies before the Copa America and Gareca decided to say right we're gonna we're gonna blitz with these youngsters and we're gonna build a kind of a new team. Well, these players in Peru had probably got more experience or playing at maybe a higher level than some of these Scots. I mean, there's a big difference for Morgan. Let's say you're playing in St. Mirren in the Scottish second division to going and playing in, you know, Trauco was playing at Lowell, wasn't he? It's, it's pretty high level. So there's a, there's a bit of a difference. Some of them, it is interesting you say. For example, McLean. So McLean has been bought by Norwich in England. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already played for Scotland. He played for Scotland a few years ago. Um, and he's kind of returned. So even though he might not be young, young, they're pretty young on experience international level, I think. So it's interesting. Some of them, maybe when they're a bit younger and then for whatever reason, they've had a few years out of the picture. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that is interesting. I mean, people like Russell, even Russell. Russell was his last game in 2014 or 15 for Scotland, I think. So he's had three years out of it. So some of these these Scottish players who are who are playing, they've not got many caps. You're right. It's a, it's a valid point. Thank you to Michael, first of all, for, for that. And also, I, I was just thinking that we haven't played Scotland we've, uh, since uh, 1979. So I was just looking over the, over the history and the record. Uh, we have footage of the 1978 game that we beat Scotland because it was a World Cup game in 78. But we also played him uh, before that, I believe, in 72 and in 79. And so far, Peru has won once, we have tied once, and Scotland has won once. So... Just, I mean, I, I just want to give that little like historic perspective. I think that a lot of Peruvians uh, remember that game from '78, especially because of the goal that was scored by Cubillas from um, from a free, free kick, kick, right? So, anyways, I, I think it's a uh, it's a little bit of nostalgia. It's kind of looking back at the past with uh, with this new team, and I I thought that was very very smart of the federation to do that. You're, you're, you're all right to talk about that historical kind of feeling behind this game, the, 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 the backdrop, because um, I don't know if you know, but the, the Peru game was really quite tough for the Scots. The Scots went to the 78 World Cup. You, we now think of Scotland as kind of almost a second nation in football, but the, in, in, in 1978, they went thinking that they were going to win it. There was a famous song they had, which went like this. Poor, poor Peru, if only you knew what the boys in blue are going to do to you. So, yeah. <laughs> if, we, if we think about it, 1979-1980, Nottingham Forest were the champions of Europe and the great John Robertson was on the pitch against Peru. They had Kenny Burns, who was Football of the Year. They had Daglish was playing the, the king at Liverpool. They had some great players and they thought they were going to do it. And they thought, little Peru, we're going to meet. So, right. And it's, and it's funny, keep your eye out, because there's a documentary coming on the BBC um, in the next few months, which is called Scotland 78. Um, and it's all about that. And they're, they're looking for people who were at the game who were, so I'm sure that would be interest to us, kind of Peruvian football followers. Uh, they were very confident they won that World Cup. They even resorted to making fun of England in the Tartan Army song. Or one of the lyrics is like, we're going to represent Britain and we're going to do or die because England can't do it because they didn't qualify. So... <laughs> they were a very good team, but they, they, were, they were a very good team. They were just overconfident going into that World Cup. To prove that Scotland side was good, they did beat the, the great Netherlands side of the 70s, and they nearly locked them out of the World Cup in 78. But they, I, think they were, I think they were beating the goal difference or something. So that, that, that's a little bit of history for you. Before we move on to the questions, uh, Michael, Peter, what are your predictions for the match? Because I don't think you really directly said anything about it. Uh, Michael, you go first. 
friendly games hard to tell. I think Peru are going to want to really have a nice send off with all their fans. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere in Lima. I think you never know with some of these Scottish young teams. There'll probably be lots of changes. I imagine McLeish will 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 change the team a little bit in the second half and. Um, They've not all played together, so they're at the beginning of this process. So I'm going for a win. I'm not as bold as you. I'm not going to go for a 4-0, but maybe let's say 2-0. 2-0 for a And Peter, how about you? Exact same. Uh, for the simple reason that Peru, I mean, obviously Scotland not familiar with each other yet, but Peru, don't forget, haven't played together for a couple months. They might take a little while to get back into sync. They'll still win comfortably, I think, but the scoreline might not necessarily reflect that, so 2-0 for me. All right, so, uh, Peter, why don't we get to the questions? Uh, first, I just want to say thank you to everyone who asked the question because we reached the record, and the record was battered by far. I think the most we've had was, like, four questions per pod. I think now, how many did we get, Peter? We got, like, nine or ten people asking us questions, some of them multiple, so, uh, yeah, we got a lot to go through for sure. Why don't we start with Kevin Moltavan now that they have giggles here? Well, yeah, why not? Why not? We'll give, we'll give the Montalvan family some, some, some pride here going first. Uh, so Kevin Montalvan at kmontalvan7 asked us, how would you like Peru to start against Scotland? He did ask two questions, but we'll start with that one first. So with that, we will let Diego answer this one. All right. I think, I think we would start uh, probably the same way we started our, our last friendlies. with Well, in, in keeper, we'd start uh, Gallese, then uh, Trauco on the left. I'd probably start Adinkul on the right, and then in the middle I would uh, Ramos and Santa Maria with Yotun and Tapia in front of them, and then in front of them have uh, Flores, uh, Cueva, Carrillo, and Farfán. I think the, the one debate that's going to be really interesting is going to be Rodriguez or Santa Maria, and we actually got a question related to that, so why don't you we'll go on to the next question? Indeed, we will bring that up. So, Jair Reality <laughs> asks us, after from Santa Maria or Alberto Rodriguez right off the bat. Uh, so basically asking us, which one would you rather have start in this game? Uh, Diego basically gave his answer, wanting Santa Maria to start from the off. Um, so I guess we can pass it off to whoever. Brian, if you want to start, you may. Mm, I'll request the first start. Yes, okay. yes, we can only talk about a little bit in this podcast. Let's give him some more time. My my money is in Rodriguez because obviously he he is the man and I know that there's been some doubts because of the stuff that happened at his club in Colombia where they were not very happy with him and we know that he is a player that constantly at his age constantly gets injured and he you know he has pain here he has pain there but it, honestly come on that that man puts on that Peruvian jersey on and he is a 22 year old. So I, I think that Gareca still trusts him. For me, Gareca's number one's choice is still Rodriguez. Uh, but obviously, we could see Santa Maria jump in uh, maybe halfway through the game or something like that and replace him and see him kind of get a few minutes and kind of get comfortable in that spot too, just in case that something happens to Rodriguez. Another, I, I want to put another spin to this question because we, we said Carrillo up top. I want to say Hurtado. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on that. Uh, so anyway, so if you want to answer those two, I'll, I'll leave it to whoever's next. Yeah, you, you've, had, you've, you've had a complaint about uh, Carrillo since we started the pod with this beef that he doesn't score enough, which I'm very torn on that one between Hurtado and Carrillo. So um, it's interesting. I agree with Rodriguez. I don't think it's just when he puts on the Peru short, but he, he has been kind of coasting his time at junior, which, you know, I'm not going to complain. It's, it's his own problem. As long as he makes the World Cup, I'm cool. Michael, you want to say something? 
Look, I, 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 I think I would play Rodriguez, but my worry in the World Cup is whether he's going to be able to play three games in a week. Or uh, So I think Santa Maria is going to play somehow. I, I think Santa Maria is going to get minutes because I, 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 Rodriguez, I think, will, will, you know, will, uh, will, will be the, the starting. I think he's probably going to be the captain, isn't he? So I think, I think, I think Rodriguez will, will play. Uh, I think Gareca trusts him. I think he likes him, leadership, etc. Not just a really good centre-half. Um, but I think he'll be a little bit concerned about his physical condition, about whether he can play three games very close together. After that, I, I like Ordalo. I think it's uh, really interesting. I mean, he's the kind of player who's who's the good soldier. He does everything the manager wants, doesn't he? He's, uh, he's, I think Mourinho used that phrase to describe William at Chelsea. And he said he's the, he's the perfect soldier. He does everything you want. Tactically, he does everything I want him to do. You can always rely on him. I think Gareca really likes him. I'm not sure he will start, but I think he's a really, really valued squad member. Uh, I think he's, I think he's one of Gareca's favourites. I as well. Peter, what is your opinion on the matter? Uh, on both Urdal Carrillo and Santa Maria Rodriguez. Now that we're on the topic, we might as well just discuss both. Yeah, why not? Um, so. We actually do have a question actually from Kevin Montalvan as well on kind of the impact substitute, which I think might play into that. But just to answer the center back issue, I mean, I agree. Rodriguez has to start because he hasn't played a whole lot. And I think it's the same reason why Carrillo also has to play. He was also nursing a minor injury towards the end of the season in the Premier League. And we all know how much Gedeka doesn't really like to rock the boat. So I think he's going to start both of those players. Michael did bring up a good point, though, about the fact that Rodriguez at his age and with his obviously brittle hamstrings, knees, basically everything. I think the fact that Santa Maria is in form, played well with Puebla, obviously shined in both of those friendlies in March. I still think that Rodriguez will end up starting most of the friendlies, but I think the fact that you have a capable replacement to come in, let's say play in the France or Australia game, if you want a little bit more pace in your back line, I think that's a really good reserve to have. But I do think that Gadeca will try to prioritize getting those players who haven't had a lot of club minutes more playing time with the national team so that they're up to speed, at least a little more up to speed than what they currently are at. I, I think Rodriguez, and it's not the same example, but I think Rodriguez could be what Yepes was for Colombia in, 24, in 20, the 2014 World Cup. Just experience it takes, it takes all, above all in uh, defense, in my opinion, center back anyways. I mean, look at Godin. Godin, I used to think he was crap, and he got better, much better over the years. Now I think he's probably one of, if not the best center back in the world. So that's um, experience is so important to the center back. Peter, what is the next question uh, now that we are done here? Yeah, we'll move on. Actually, that was a great analogy, by the way, the Yepes one. And also with Paolo Guerrero not going to the World Cup, I think experience will be massive for this team. So he would definitely be leaned upon in, in that case. Uh, why don't we move on to, because we were talking about Rutalo a little bit, um, Kevin Montalban again asked us, who do you see as being the most valuable substitute or impact substitute for Peru at the World Cup. And for me, I think it might be Rafalo just because he can play centrally, he can play on the right, he set career highs in goals, assists, uh, pretty sure minutes as well this season with Vitoria in Portugal. Um, he's coming in in sensational form. I think that could really translate to the national team as well. So with that, what do you guys think? I, I think it has to be Rafalo as well. I mean, he's been the impact Agreed. sub since he's been the impact sub in the qualifiers and he's been uh, scoring out of his he's scoring out of his skin in Portugal. And um, I think the second choice, I'd say Rui Diaz. I mean, he hasn't been that impactful, but he's uh, one of the subs that got to confide in the most. He's always going to put a second – he could be the second striker if um, Falfan is not working or if you're chasing a goal that's already in the qualifiers, and I think that's what Rui Diaz will do. Diego, I'll go over to you. What do you think? 
No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think uh, Hurtado would, is, is, is the next man up. And, I mean, especially if, if we keep the same system that we've got with the players that will be up top, I think Hurtado is the next, the next man in. All right. Uh, so, Michael and Christopher go to rock, paper, scissors. I choose Michael for now. <laughs> I fully agree with, um, with, with what Peter said. And I, I, think I, I think we're all in agreement. Yeah, I think Hurtado's are going to be a really important player. If he does, if he starts in some games, I think he'll be he'll do a great job. And if he doesn't, I'm sure he's got a big part to play. Coming up and Christopher, I think this is going to be an interesting answer because Christopher wants Hurtado to start. What do you think on this I, one? I do want Hurtado to start. I really do think that he has earned. Come on, I mean, like honestly, Carrillo hasn't really had that many that many minutes in in uh, his club in England, and I think Hurtado has been doing so well. I think. If anything, this is a friendly. I'm gonna. I hope that Gareca's listening to us. And please, just put Hurtado from the start. I, I think that is the best choice. I so think put, Solana, I think Solano will have to listen to us because Gareca doesn't know English. So okay, fair enough. <laughs> so so you would so Christopher, you would put Hurtado on the right where Carrillo usually plays. Yeah, I think it's it's because I I think that um, so so the line behind them is 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 very fluid, right? I think the line. Well, I, I think Jefferson would be probably number nine up top, our main man. And then kind of behind him, I think that the, the players that, that play there don't don't really have like one set right. position that they need to stick to. So I, I honestly think it's being very fluid back there with with um, Hurtado, uh, was Flores, right? Yotun, well, uh, you know, so I, I, I honestly think that I don't think that it would kind of really mess things up. I think it would... My only concern for for Dado is that he doesn't seem to do very well against the big sides. Now I'd like to throw this straight out the window because he will he they well he didn't debut but he played against Uruguay uh, as his return of the national team and he did very well so I want to put that out of the window immediately. But I'm talking more about uh, against Porto, Benfica, and Sporting. I believe he has zero goals and I don't know if he has assists, but I believe against those three has zero goals. I mean, the, the team in general was just absolutely awful in those games. I don't think you can really say that. I mean, well, I, 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 I'll, I'll be honest. I'm just looking at stats. I haven't actually seen him in those games, so I could be very wrong here. But uh, I, I still think it's something interesting to point out. In, in like the stat in general, I think it's interesting we should point it out. I, I think Urtao is a great player, but uh, I'm keen to see how he would do against the like friends uh, because he. He did, he did walk against Uruguay, uh, but well, I'm curious to see how he does against the other sides like, at that stage. It'll be interesting. No, and, and I do respect Scotland, especially because, like we just mentioned a second ago, the history behind it and everything. But but honestly, uh, well, maybe I don't know that much about Scottish football, but like honestly, do we see Scotland being a lot harder than New Zealand? I kind of see us taking kind of the game the, the the same way that we took it against New Zealand. Like Peter said at the beginning, you know, it's we're going to take a second to figure things out, but once we, we click, then I, I honestly don't see Peru struggling against uh, against Scotland. I, I personally think Scotland are better than New Zealand. But no, yeah, I, I, mean, I would say so. I, 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 I think that they are better than New Zealand. I don't think they're like... You know, like holy cow, there's a huge gap. But you know, I think I think I think the starting squads are about the same. But I think Scotland has more depth just because they have a better league and they have a they have more players playing in the championship, for example. So I think there's a more depth in the Scottish team. But the, the starting side lineups are about equal because you have your average championship player like Tommy Smith and Chris Wood, and then Johnny Russell, for example. But then you have uh, more depth. I mean, you have more players playing for Celtic and more players in the championship. So. I think that they're about equal, personally. Whereas in uh, New Zealand, they're, they might be playing for Auckland. So, 
Ooh, seven professional side. I guess we can move on more towards the players who are currently here that will move on to sort of the other players like Paolo Guerrero. I know there are some questions about Benevente and whatnot. So there is, this kind of fits into Paolo talk, but a bunch of us kind of asked us basically who could be the replacement or who would be sort of the the, the better player to start up front. So um, Milos uh, Sports Canovost asked us who will replace Paolo Guerrero. Um, Brian, your father basically said, explain to the public that Peru is not Guerrero dependent. Uh, Farfan is in top form, Trauco silky passing, Cueva's rhythm, etc., etc. Um and then with that, uh, Derek, just simply at Derek Twerk, great Twitter handle, uh, <laughs> asked us, uh, would you start Ruidias up top with Farfan on the wing or Farfan up top with Carrillo on the wing like against New Zealand? Myself personally, I think, you know, I, I like what Ruidias offers these days because he's been playing more as a complete forward with Monarcas, mainly because he was forced to. The attack was absolutely awful. He was on an island most times, so he was forced to drop deep, collect the ball, be more involved in the build-up play. And we saw a little bit of that against Iceland, which I think was kind of encouraging. Plus, I think few Peruvian forwards are as opportunistic as him in the box, and I think that could come in really handy. If you just have you know, a, a scramble in, in, in the six-yard box, then he's there to just put away the chance. I personally, though, do believe that Gareca will go with Farfan because, as I mentioned last week, I think he is sort of the best, quote-unquote, vice Paolo, available to the squad and that he can hold up the ball and get teammates involved, although he is lacking in the height department, but that's, that, that is kind of minor. So with that, what would you guys think? Uh, let's go to Diego first for this one. Uh, what do you think? Peter, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think, I think uh, Farfán is going to start in, in the number nine position. Um, I think it all depends on who, uh, who we were to play and how they were to match up. I think against, against maybe someone like, like France, they probably, might not start Ruidias because I feel like they would want to try to take advantage of or keep the their their wing backs busy, but maybe against uh, maybe against Australia having two forwards up there may may work better. But uh, yeah, no, I mean no one. I don't think anyone anyone can replace Pablo Guerrero. But but I think uh, I think the, the the squad that we have will be able to do it. I just want to say, I pretty much agree with Peter. I don't have anything else to add. I think he said everything I wanted to say. So, Michael, what do you think? No, I think I agree with Diego that you can't really replace Paolo. So, I think, um, I, 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 personally, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Rui Diaz will start. I think he'll play with Farfan. That seems to be what he's been doing his, in his training sessions this week. The, the, the newspapers, those who are watching the training sessions, seems to be his, his, kind of his way of playing. But, um, as I said, I, I think. You know, it's going to be definitely three games um, and hopefully more. Um, and I'm sure if you play three games or four, at some point you're going to need to change it around a little bit. You've got to be flexible. And you've got to have not just your plan A, but your plan B and hopefully your plan C as well. So I think they'll be trying everything. I think Farfan will play. Um, I think he probably deserves to play. He's been playing really well in Russia. But I'm fairly sure that Gareca will have, uh, depending on the opposition, uh, other ideas of how he wants to to set up his team. Christopher, uh, the last part before we move on to the next question. Yeah, I think the default setup for me, what I see Peru doing is what you guys have described with Farfan up top. And uh, in, I think that Gareca has plan B if things don't go as well, bringing in Ruidias and kind of making them uh, a duo instead of just uh, a solo uh, up front. So... 
So yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. All right, Peter, let's go to the last question. How many do we have left? Oh, we still have quite a few, my friend. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I think we have uh, three, four, we have six left. Uh, so kind of on that same topic, Nick Forsman at MattMurr247 asked, I know Guerrero brings an element to the game that no one else really can, but based off the last two friendlies and other World Cup qualifying games without him, isn't Peru looking fine without him? Yes, they are. Although Brian did bring up a very good point, which I'll let him kind of explain before the show in that, you know, yes, they have looked fine without him so far, but there's maybe a little caveat. So Brian, if you maybe want to mention that caveat, you may. Yeah, we were discussing, me and you were discussing this. I think that we've done very well in those two friendlies, but they're friendlies at the end of the day. Now, the three matches we have played without Paolo, we did not, the three competitive matches, we did not play very well. Granted, there were sides that we usually struggle against, like Bolivia, where they missed a last-minute sitter, and then at the two New Zealand games. Um, the first one was generally a poor performance. The second one, I think it was more of a tactical gamble from Gareca, sacrificing one midfielder to play two forwards. It works against a side like New Zealand, so I think that one's kind of hard to judge, but I think the game in Wellington and the game against Bolivia at home were kind of poor. But I guess we'll see in the World Cup. I think um, I think we'll be fine personally, but I think it's interesting to bring up myself. Yeah, are they doing fine? I think I think they are. I mean, look, I believe that Peru are going to be competitive in this World Cup. I mean, I I, I think if you if you say it's very difficult to make predictions and say they're definitely going to get this far, um, but I think Gareca has shown, and I think the players who are there, because we've got to think about the players who are there. I think they've shown that they, against good opposition, can really be competitive. Um, so, so I, I'm not particularly worried. I mean, I, uh, they're going to miss Paolo, but I think they've got a good base there. They've got a really good manager who's going to. We know he's going to organise them. Um, I think they're going to be really competitive. I always think the World Cup. I think the first game is really important. I think the first, yeah. the, the first game is important. If you if you lose the first game and then you play France, it's difficult. But yeah. if you could beat Denmark or at least get a draw, um, then I then I think then confidence-wise it's great. So I, I I think like everything in the World Cup, the first game is really really important. Um, I, I'm confident. I'm, I'm confident. I, I personally think that that game against France is not out of the ruling because I mean I think we're gonna lose personally, but let's not rule ourselves out because most of us let's let's face it, most of us ruled this out when we played Brazil in the Copa America. We won with a, with a squad that wasn't even fully gelled. Again, the thing about France is I find it very unbalanced. I think they have a great set of forwards, but everything else looks suspect. I mean, there are some good players, but like Pogba's very inconsistent, for example, and Sanzi's not really that proven. I think, I think Sanzi's a great player. I think he's a great with Sevilla, but I think it's not really proven. I think Conte's the biggest fear in that midfield. Defenders look a bit suspect as well. I mean, Uncle Shelley's not there, which might be good news for them, might be the blessings in disguise for them. But um, it, it kind of looks suspect. And from what I've seen from Norris this season, I think he's overrated myself. But again, it's France. They should they should be winning. They're expected to win. Let's not let's not get our hopes. Uh, maybe get our hopes up. Maybe it's not the right word. But let's not get our expectations up on that match. But I don't think it's completely out of the ruling, especially given the problems France have had in the dressing room for the past ten years. I mean, the problems have always been there. Uh, Christopher, what do you think on this whole uh, debacle? I was worried about the Peruvian team. Uh, the the Bolivia game felt a little bit like a miracle, even though we knew that we were probably going to win. The New Zealand team, especially the the away leg, was also worrying, where we weren't able to to score a goal. 
and and I was worried about the fact that we were missing Paulo Guerrero, but honestly, after seeing them in in the United States, uh, both of those games kind of convinced me that that this this Peru team is not Paulo dependent, and so I'm I'm honestly like not not that worried. I understand that the pressure of playing in a World Cup match is not the same as as playing in the friendly, but if if yeah, at the same time, I don't think it's that those two games were just like any other friendly. I, I think what made those two games different was that, first of all, we were one of the 32 teams going to the World Cup against another World Cup team. And also, we are starting to carry that baggage of being undefeated for, you know, such a long time. And I think that is putting some healthy pressure on the players to actually play hard, even if it's friendly. So... Yeah, I'm. I'm really not that worried that Paulo is not there. I, I trust Gareca, and I trust that he's he's going to do what's right. I think that's a good point about trust, trusting Gareca because he's the final odds to get here. So, uh, yeah, Diego, let's give your last thoughts on this before we go on to the next question. Yeah, I, I want to say I agree with Chris. Um, you know, the only thing I would add is that the only thing that I think we could miss from Paulo is his ability to hold up, uh, hold the ball while the whole team co- keeps coming up. But other than that, I think, uh, I like like everyone said, I fully trust in Gareca and fully trust in the team. And I think um, no one should rule us out in any game. And, and like you said, Fran- even with France, uh, I think for what, me personally, I think we have a better coach than them. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Champs. I don't think he adds anything to France. And then and then the other thing about France is um, they're they're very young. Uh, so hopefully that inexperience uh, costs them a little bit. I, I think it's also uh, interesting to mention that this is going to be Conte's first World Cup. I mean, before he wasn't anything. Uh, before like before Leicester went in for him, he wasn't anything. So I think I think that's interesting. Uh, I believe this is Titi's first World Cup as well. Is that correct, Peter? Yes, it is. I think I think something to, to, to bear in mind as well is is that there's no secrets in, in international football now. In that, I, there was an interesting article with Jures, the, the 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 French kind of ex-player in the um, in the nineteen um, in nineteen eighty two, I think, or, yeah, because the French side, and they were asking him about when they played Peru in in the friendly in Paris when Peru beat them, and it was interesting his response because he basically talked about Cueto and he said, oh, you know, they had this great left footer Cueto, we didn't really know anything about, and he was really good and he surprised us, and it, and it's and it's interesting now in that Deschamps has seen all of Peru's game. The Peru games in us in in the United States, the two friendlies, they left pretty clear what Peru are good at and what Peru aren't very good at. Against Iceland, it was interesting. Iceland are much more in well, they're far inferior side than Croatia, but at long ball, at, at, at dead ball, you know, set pieces, they caused Peru big problems. If I would have been France, France are a big powerful side. If I was Denmark, a big powerful side, I'd be looking at that and thinking. Peru, we, we can try and get at them there. Except at Croatia, where Croatia played on the on the board on the, on the floor, Peru dealt with them quite well. So I don't mean there's any I don't mean there's any surprises. Gareca would have seen all of Denmark's games and he's seen all of France's games. And Deschamps been staying up at night. He's saying, "Is I watched all of Peru's games." So they're not surprised by you know. There's no surprise in international football now. It's not like in the 70s when Scotland didn't have a clue who any of the, the Peruvians were. And they arrived in in in, in Argentina and, and, and found a surprise. So, I think all of the managers they set their teams up accordingly. I think 
I think that's why World Cup games now are close. You don't normally get five nils or six nils, do you anymore? It's, it's all they're all close, really. Fine details they're decided on, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we're going to see in Russia. Very close games. All right, so Peter, want to move on to the next question? So we'll get kind of the last sort of big picture questions in here. So Eddie Ramos actually asked us a, a slew of questions here, which are quite interesting. So first of all, who's getting cut? Do you think we really need five center backs? And any chance Benevente gets a call up with Guerrero now out, or do you think that he is done? I guess in terms of the Benevente stuff, no, I don't think he's going to get called because it looks like the player who might get cut, and this is what Peruvian media is heavily reporting. It's one of Nilsson Loyola or Luis Abram and or Wilder Cartagena or Sergio Peña. I personally think that Loyola will get dropped because Abram can play left, uh, left back and center back, which is why they have five center backs, because let's be honest, Rodriguez is not dependable for fitness, which is why Santa Maria has to be called up. And suspensions come, come kind of thick and fast at the World Cup, which is why you always need defenders in reserve. Uh, so that's why Araujo was called up to replace Ramos if is necessary. And of course, Abraham can play either either left back or center back, as I mentioned. So that's why they have five center backs. Um, would you guys agree in, in, in terms of that and uh, with who's going to get cut? Do you think there's maybe another candidate that Gadeca could possibly look at? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with those, and uh, I made some good points a few days that I don't think he's going to cut. There's a reason why he likes him. But uh, quickly, I just want to look at the chat and just say hi to everyone. Thanks to uh, thanks for the discussion that's going on in the chat. I've been kind of ignoring. I've been kind of trying to. Uh, we haven't. I'm not been ignoring, but I haven't had time to just uh, reply to everyone. We did get one very interesting question in the chat though that I'm going to ask here. Do you think we should win all of three friendlies part of the World Cup? You know, I want to win every game, but I think it's good that we lose one or two because I. I mean, Costa Rica, the last World Cup, they lost most of the friendlies, and look how, look how they did it. I think it's an important thing to not have the squad complacent, complacent. What do you think, Peter? I kind of agree with that, but, I mean, also winning is, is good, right? And I don't think this yeah. team takes anything for granted, right? I mean, Gadeca has them very level-headed. There are many, many pictures on the internet of Gadeca pointing to his head after Peru scores and they take a lead um, because he wants that mental resilience to stay intact. So I don't think, even if they win every game, that this team is going to suddenly drop off because Gadeca won't let them. And if they do drop off, then they're probably going to get a, an ass whooping after that. So, um, or you know, the hairdryer treatment, right, Sir Alex Ferguson style, possibly. Um, so I mean, frankly, I, I'm not at all concerned, really, form good or bad, especially in friendlies, because as you mentioned with Costa Rica, it tends to not mean anything. But either way, I, I think that they'll be motivated no matter what. So what is the next question, Peter? Yeah, so uh, we'll stay on the Benevente theme, which I think is also an interesting question. And once again, uh, Derek asks us, why do you think Christian Benevente has not played well for Peru under Ricardo Gadeca? Of course, called up for the March friendlies, came on for about half an hour in each one. Um, I think that's part of it, personally, uh, in my opinion, because in that Croatia game when he came on, the front foot was very much with Croatia at that point. And none of Peru's attackers in general were able to get on the ball. And I think Benavente suffered as a result. So when the Iceland game came around, he was probably thinking in his mind, well, my God, I only have about 30 minutes here to really have a lasting impression with Peru. So I have to do something here. And unfortunately for him, he was a little bit too individualistic and it cost him. Now, I don't necessarily think that was the killer blow. I think that just simply his record-breaking season in, in goals and in appearances and starts 
came a year too late. If this had come last season, I think he would have been called up and would have been a squad regular. So yeah. that that's what I think. I don't know what you guys think, Brian. I know you want to jump in, so go ahead. Yeah, I agree with it all. Uh, I did want to mention, though, that uh, one thing – I'm not sure how relevant this is, but I think one thing that's interesting to note is that he, he, I, I do notice his style is not like a proven player. He plays more of a Spanish style. But I also wanted to mention how would it be different because if he started Real Madrid, which he did – well, how would it be different if we started for Barcelona, which is more tiki-taka based, which would be interesting. Um, what do you guys think of the whole Benavente issue? And uh, if you want to answer my question, go ahead. I, it was kind of a rhetorical question, but it's interesting. Um, I want I want to say one thing. See, I was um I was actually covering those games. I was there, and I think it also didn't help that all the media really was asking him, "Hey, do you think you're going to make it to the World Cup? Hey, do you think you're going <laughs> to do you think do you think that you're you're going to uh, put an impression on the team on Gareca?" So I think I think just going out there and being out there for only like you said thirty minutes, twenty five minutes, twenty minutes. All he was thinking about is I got to do something to to you know make everyone see me, make everyone notice me, and that that just doesn't help. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Michael, Christopher, do you have anything else you want to add? Do you want you guys want to jump in? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna add that I think that Benavente is not career with the national team is not over. I think that Benavente will probably find uh, a little niche for himself. Uh, once the World Cup is over and we're, once we start thinking about next year's Copa America and everything like that, obviously some of the players are getting older. We're going to see some changes in the national team after this World Cup. And I think that he is playing really well in Belgium. And unfortunately, when when we, you know, when he was a, a usual at the squad, he wasn't doing well. And then he, he leaves the national squad. Gareca stops calling him and then he gets better. But then the whole team dynamic change changes so i mean it was all like really bad timing unfortunately but i think that it, he's going to be able to make himself part part of the team again after this world cup yeah i know it's interesting michael do you want to say anything before yeah. just agree i think he's going to be a really key player in the future and i i personally was a bit disappointed in the second game that he didn't play more i thought they might have started him but i understand Gareca's reasons and and um and yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think we can argue with what Gareca decides. But in the future, he's going to be key, I'm sure. Yeah. So Peter, what, what are the other questions we have? There's three more, right? Yeah. These are a couple. Of these are quick. I'll, I'll, maybe just one for the entire group that we'll throw out here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really hate to ask this because we've been just inundated with this for for days upon days. But uh, Sergio Branco Rivera at Sergio Branco Ten asked us, "Do you still believe in the glimmer of hope?" that Paolo Guerrero will go to the World Cup by appealing to the Swiss Supreme Court. Before I let you guys answer, I do have a Q&A on the Proving Waltz website about this exact issue. Uh, if you read it there, the answer is basically that the glimmer of hope is very much a small glimmer of hope because the Swiss Supreme Court can take weeks, months, who knows how long to push this through. So I guess from my point of view, that would be a no um, I don't know if you guys have more optimism or not, or if you even really care about this because the World Cup's coming up. And frankly, I think it would be best for everybody to just focus on the Agreed. 23 that are going Agreed. to the World Cup. Yeah. I, I also, I just want to read someone in the chat. Desiree Barron asked, I got a question. Are you all Peruvian? I want to say with pride that all of us, except for Michael, are Peruvian. Michael's living in Lima, though, so he qualifies as a Peruvian by heart until he gets citizenship, which I don't know if he has right now. I, look, I, I've, I've been bought a, I've been bought a Peru shirt by my my girlfriend and their family. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm kind of. Yeah, Peru. I, 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 I'm I'm English, but uh, I think living in in Peru with a, a kind of a Peruvian, let's say, family, uh, 
and my girlfriend she's got i've got a prusa i'm not actually wearing it today but i've just kind of come back from <laughs> sat down. so next time if you want i'll get my peruvian shirt out uh, the thing for me is i don't think we can meet until the final but i think if england meet peru in the final then i think we'll all be happy weren't we yeah in the group stage it would have been a bit awkward all right so um i think we me and you were talking about this pre-part um I, he, he probably will go to the Swiss Supreme Court, but I think the World Cup is out of, out of question now because he has like ten days to do it. So, yeah, it's um that's that's about that's about the end of, for that. I think. Uh, what do you guys think? I was gonna say. I mean, yeah, it would be great if it, if it happened. It happens, but I think at this point we gotta just turn the page and, and kind of just leave it. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, we still gotta keep going forward. Um, Gareca and the team, we gotta trust in them, and 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 that's it. Just gotta keep going forward. So to me, the, the, I was just going to say that the, the true last glimmer of hope was uh, FIFA negotiating with WADA so that he could quote unquote serve his sentence after the World Cup. To me, that was that was the last thing that he could have done to realistically make him be part of the team. Uh, at this point, I am a very faithful person, right? But but honestly, we we need to move forward. We, we need to move on, and we need to start focusing on the team. Hundred percent. Right. So we will. Kind of close it out with uh, something on, let's say, Ricardo Gareca and his future. Because as everybody knows, mm. he's probably going to be in very high demand after this World Cup. Certainly, I think, a candidate for FIFA Coach of the Year and should win it. Because, frankly, what he has done is nothing short of a freaking miracle. Freddy Sebastian at FSebastian74 asked, uh, Lads, how high up in the pecking order of the FFAF business is it important to retain Gareca post-Russia? Um Little background, in March, Evan Oviedo, the Federation president, actually said that the priority is to re-sign Ricardo Gareca for the 2022 cycle. And he said that from his point of view, he believes that Gareca would be very interested in staying on. Um, so that kind of answers the question there. But guys, do you think that in your gut, in your heart of hearts, that he will actually end up staying? Or do you think that the interest elsewhere will be too much? I think, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting because um, I do think that... Um, I don't, I'm not totally convinced it's the greatest thing that he'll stay. I mean, I want him to stay because what he's done for us. The Warren said I would never want him to leave. But the thing is, I'm worried that we might see uh, uh, what, what happened to Jose Pekerman with Colombia, where uh, he has a better team now, but his tactics are just clueless. Um, and that's what I'm worried about. I think Aleka has done excellently this time around. I'm just worried about uh, if it's going to get stale. Now, I want him to stay personally. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm a bit controversial with this opinion, and I want him to stay. I'm just a bit worried because I think in international football, um, I mean, it's eight years. I mean, you maybe maybe some things change over time that it just happens uh, uh, very difficult. Yeah, and there's like, and of course, you could always have the Sampaoli problem where if Argentina goes for him, he'll go. I mean, that's that's the that's the thing. I that's the way I feel. But um, personally, I want to stay. I'm just worried if it's gonna either. I'm just worried if it's a gamble because it could either become stale or it could either go really well where you just perfect the. Uh, we can just perfect the team. So it's interesting to know how it does. We can always see them like go to the San Paoli route where he could continue to do well Chile, or we can see him go to Colombia route where he's become really bad uh, with the style of players. So it's interesting. It's interesting to know because then you could also have another manager like PT and they just miss out the World Cup completely. So, Brian, let's be honest. You, what you want is you want Grioni. <laughs> let's be honest let's all be honest that's that's what you want but He's pushing the propaganda i love it right <laughs> but but like, so just to just to add my two cents to this come on let's be honest 
Greca is more popular than the president of Peru, than the Peruvian <laughs> Congress, than Peruvian celebrities. This guy, holy cow, he, he has reached, you know, demigod status in the eyes of Peruvians right now because of who he is. He can, and rightfully so. And, and honestly, like, I mean, he can go any country in the world, but he will not reach the same level of fame and of, like, love and all of that that he has reached in Peru. Honestly, I truly believe it. Christopher, what happens when things go badly in the World Cup? Or or you go to the Copa America and things go badly? People will soon get on his back, do you not think? I understand what you're saying, but I think he has earned 36 years of credit. (laughs) And so that that, that does not run out fast. A good answer. A good answer. Very good answer. Uh, Diego, do you want to to jump in on this if you want to? (laughs) I mean, I I really can't really add anything to that because I I agree 100%. I think Gareca, like he said, demigod. I think everyone loves him. Obviously, I think everyone would want to have him sign on for the next qualifiers, for the next World Cup cycle. And yeah, I mean, that that's about it right now. Yeah. All right, Peter. Do we have any other questions? Yes, last one. I can't believe we actually got through all these. So kudos to to everybody here, um, and thank you everybody for all the questions. By the way, you literally like almost broke my tweet deck with all these so um (laughs) finally uh beliefer at miguel flores asked us uh how is renato tapia's a lot of caveat here but rumored transfer to valencia looking there actually was a bit of an update which is probably a negative outlook if you are peruvian they are apparently going to sign jeffrey condoglia permanently from inter for about 25 million euros um he plays in that deep lying role so that doesn't look great they're also really interested in signing Gonzalo Guedes. The problem is they're dealing with FFP limitations. And they've also been linked to Frank Fabra, of course, of Boca Juniors in Colombia, who I'm sure is going to have a fantastic World Cup as well. So the Valencia news might not be necessarily great, but the ESPN who actually linked Tapia to Valencia did also say that, quote, several other European clubs are interested in Tapia as well. And Marseille tracked him in January. They might lose uh, Zambo Anguissa to the Premier League, who plays in Tapia's role, which means there could be a spot opened up for him because Marseille likes to play with two holding midfielders. So Comebol listed him as kind of one of the under-the-radar players to watch at the World Cup. Do you think that Renato Tapia is like that so-called low-key player that could have a really, really dominant World Cup for I'm not sure if he's low-key, but I wanted to mention that I think these transfer rumors before the World Cup are just completely pointless because... Because uh, you are, if you look at the, if you look at it this way, James Rodriguez had uh, was very good before the World Cup, and then he kind of ex- his form exploded in the World Cup, and then he got the move to Real Madrid, which wouldn't have happened if there was no tournament that that World Cup. And same with Navas. So I think these rumors are pointless until after the World Cup is done, and then we can start talking about that because that's what it really matters the most. Indeed. But I uh, but I think based on form and, and 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 what we know and what you know the people that have watched Tapia. I, you know, I, I would say he deserves a, a bigger move, right? Him, Flores, Hurtado even. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody does, right? Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my caveat with him is that he has to pick, he has to be very careful that he goes to a club that are going to play in his position. Okay. Right. I, 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 I think I think Tapia in his position is very good, I think. Um, but he needs to be very careful. I mean, a lot of players have gone to Marseille and not done particularly well, for example, Marseille. He's got. He's, he's really got to with his agent. He's really got to sit down and decide and speak to the manager, make sure they want him, where they're going to play, and what's. And I think if he does that, 
in the right system for him. And I think he's a really, really, really good player who's probably not going to cost us quite affordable for, for some quite kind of medium good sides in Europe. But I would just, if I were him, I would, I would take take a bit of time and really make sure you, you make that right move because he's at that age, isn't he? It's, it's going to be a big move for this one. I think an interesting one is uh, Liverpool because Liverpool uh, can use a player like Tapia. I mean, they have an okay midfield. I think it's a midfield that kind of overperforms in some ways. I mean, I read Milner. I think Henderson is okay, but I think uh, what's most interesting is that Liverpool actually wanted him back when he was at 20, and uh, he apparently failed the trial, which will be interesting if they want him back now, which uh, I think will be like a nice little story. Yeah, so, I, I don't. I don't know if Liverpool would be ideal though, because I don't think he has the pace to keep up with with that frantic, you know, fast-paced pressing system. That's the only issue I would see with that. I don't. I don't see Milner. I don't see Milner having that pace either. So I, I will. I guess we'll see though. Just as long as they're playing in center back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you said, we'll see after the World Cup. Just finishing on that, England's a difficult place to go. Yeah, no, I I agree completely because there's a few players. Uh, there's, there's a few players who are extremely good players who for whatever reason have gone to England and the style of football, the pace of it, it's very quick. Um, and, you know, is a perfect example, it, might, it might well be that Spain or something and, and that's the kind of thing you've really got to think about with your agents. I think all of these players, because I think a lot of these Peruvians are going to, at the end of this World Cup, have offers in front of them. I think one of the best players, uh, one of the best places for him to go is Italy because Italy's. I mean, yeah. he's a very tactical player, and in Italy they'll teach they'll teach you how to be tactically uh, disciplined. So, I don't, I don't. There's no nation in the world, in my opinion, that has better managers than Italy. In my opinion, maybe not Italian, but the managers in Italy, managing Italian clubs, I think those are the best in the world right now because I think those are the ones that are, are the, 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 the know what they're doing the most. I mean. I see some of the managers in England and I see some of the signings they make as well as the pace and the style. And I think, what are they doing? I mean, even with Spain, even with Spain, they have struggled a little bit, but I think Italy is the only nation that has, that consistently churns up the managers. So yeah, Christopher, what did you want to say before we end the photo? Uh, I was, I was just going to say that, uh, funny enough, uh, he actually confessed that his dream team would be Juventus, which I mean, it's a little bit, it's dreaming high, right? But, but Hey, who knows? So just it just kind of made me think that you know you you said Italy so I think he would be very happy to go to Italy for sure. So yeah, that's gonna end the poll again. Thank you for everyone who asked us those questions. We answered them all. I believe we answered them all. Yes, Peter. We did indeed. Yes. And why don't you go to your Twitter handle? Well, my firstly my Twitter handle is b underscore birthday ninety eight. If you don't follow me, make sure you follow. I just hit this seven hundred follower mark, so I'm getting closer one thousand. So that's interesting. Peter, what is your Twitter handle? Mine is at Galindo PW, and you can follow the show slash website at Peru Waltz, which is also catching up to Brian and followers as well. So we'll see who can win this race to a thousand. <laughs> it won't be me. I can definitely see that. Uh, Christopher, your Twitter? I am VIZ underscore FC. Michael? Uh, MT Williams, I'm made seven. And uh, Diego, finally, the new panelist. What's your Twitter? Uh, D Montalvan. All right. That's going to end the podcast. Thank you for listening. Catch us next week. Orubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González Orlando, la torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.